I went out walking through streets paved with gold Lifted some stones, saw the skin and bones of a city without a soul I stopped outside a church house where the citizens like to sit They say they want the kingdom, but they don't want God in it Yeah, I went with nothing, nothing but the thought of you I went wandering Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets Biblical Christianity face-to-face, -face. and I'm your host, Sean McCraney. I'm standing here next to beautiful 16-year-old Ari. Uh, know her parents and brother well, and this is her first time on the show. Ari, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Excellent. Ari is a student at a local high school here in Salt Lake. She, is a, uh, she attends a Christian church. She's... Uh, She's, she admittedly says, I'm not born again yet. That's wonderful that she understands the differentiation. And she goes to probably a high school full of LDS kids. Yeah. Now, what's that like? Um, well, it's just kind of hard because when you try to share your views, everyone's just like, no, no, I don't want to hear it or something. And so... I know how you feel. Yeah. yeah. Did, you, did that happen with <laughs> yeah, you? Yeah, happens with me too, yeah. yeah. Well, so... How about socially? Are you invited to the parties? Yeah, sometimes. It depends. Like, if I share my views with people too much, then they just kind of, like, shut me out and they don't want anything to do with me. I see. Um, but I actually went to seminary last year. Oh. Um, and so it was just kind of interesting to see everything and what happened. Were you treated better by uh, the kids who went to seminary, too, because they thought that maybe you would convert? Usually, yeah. 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 Well, at that time, last year, I didn't really... I didn't really leave it. I didn't think of anything of it. Uh-huh. And so I was still in it. So. I see. I see. And now um, one last question, Ari. You said earlier before the show started, you don't have a boyfriend. Boys are not that important to you. You said that, didn't you? Yeah. Now, girls of America, listen to this. This is a girl with a, a head on her shoulders. Boys are just not that important to her. At what age do you think that will happen? Will that will change? Um, I don't 35, know. 35, thank you for being on the show. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you, Ari. Heart of the Matter on the radio, absolutely. Every Sunday, AM 820, The Truth airs Heart of the Matter from 1 to 2 p.m. A never-denominational Bible study, absolutely. Every week, God willing, Sundays at the University of Utah from 2.30 to 3.30 in the afternoon. A group of people gathering together who are on their way uh, out of Mormonism, absolutely, right after the bubble, st the bubble study. Right, uh, right after the Bible study, uh, You're Not Alone is the group led by Earl and Carla. If you want more information on these activities that happen every Sunday afternoon, go to calvarycampus.com. Okay, we're getting close, just three weeks, three and a half weeks away, and we'll be meeting for our sixth annual Burning Heart Revival. When Saturday, September 3rd from 5 to 8 p.m., join us at the Murray Park Amphitheater. Uh, Come on out the stand. I said last week they were called Reverb Nation. That's not the truth. They're called the stand. And Adams Road will be performing 
uh, as unto the Lord. We'll be speaking about uh, different topics like Christian anarchy, and there will be food from Subway. Eat fresh! Uh, at our, and, of course, our annual open water baptisms. This is the only time we get together as a group in a year. Um, bring everything that you might need uh, to the park, September 3rd, 5 to 8, uh, at the amphitheater. Go to www.hotm.tv for more information. And uh, finally, uh, this coming uh, Friday, August 26th and 27th, I will be facilitating a men's conference at the Alpine Church located in Riverdale, Utah. The address is 5050 South, 1275 West in Riverdale. Uh, you can go at, to alpinechurch.org to find out more information about that. We promised we would do our part in letting you know about these uh, events coming up, and this is what we're going to do. Concerts coming to town. If you're into Christian concerts, ready girls, roll it. Vision presents Casting Crowns. The Come to the Well Tour. We will make it be courageous and we'll take featuring Grammy nominated Dove Award winning Sanctus Real. Dove Award and MTVU winners The Afters. Lindsay McCall. Youth workers are invited to gather at the well for resources, fellowship, and encouragement. Visit castingcrowns.com for more details. Come to the well and join six-time Dove Award Group and Artist of the Year, Casting Crowns, with Sanctus Real, The Afters, and Lindsay McCall. The Come to the Well Tour. To really help facilitate uh, sales, I will be opening up for Casting Crowns with some interpretive dance using the Testimony Glove. So uh, make sure you buy your tickets, and we'll see you all there. How about, uh, oh wait, I might have to stretch this out. A moment from the Word? Forget the intro, no moment from the Word. Uh, we've worked our way up through Matthew chapter 21, explaining the simple differences between Mormonism and Biblical Christianity. In tonight's verses, we come face to face with something many Christians deal with when talking to LDS missionaries. A question as to where they get their authority to preach and teach and bless other people. Uh, interestingly enough, Jesus was constantly asked the same thing by the religionists of his day too. Consider Matthew 21 beginning at verse 23 where it says, and when he was come unto the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came unto him as he was teaching and said, By what authority dost thou these things? And who gave thee this authority? By asking this, there was kind of a show of propriety among these uh, Pharisees. See, the Lord was making great changes to their affairs around the temple, and they claimed to know uh, they claim to have the right to know how this was done, why it was done, and how come it didn't include their permission. Jesus was not, listen, he was not a Levitical priest. He was not from the tribe of Levi. 
He had no civil or ecclesiastical authority, and yet he had taught, contrary to their customs, even turned over tables in their presence. Now, men have tried to prove authority from God uh, through all sorts of means. Some claim authority comes down straight from Peter to their living uh, authorities today. Mormons believe angelic men came down and bestowed authority on the head of Joseph Smith, and then he in turn gave that authority to other people, who in turn gave that authority to other people all the way down till today. Even within Christian churches, there are denominations who believe that authority to preach or teach or um, do things in the name of God comes by virtue of ordination, and ordination is only bestowed within those denominations upon men, typically, sometimes women, who have got masters of divinity or a PhD in uh, theology and then are so ordained. In my opinion, all of this, there simply means that men and women employ to control uh, the Holy Spirit and the directives of the Holy Spirit. Now, how is getting the authority in God's name achieved? If we were to define authority, we might say something like the right to govern or teach or act in the cause of Christ. Before I give you some things to consider, doesn't everybody have the authority to, for instance, pray? And doesn't everybody have the authority to share the gospel? They're on a bus, they're in a park, someone comes up. Don't you have the right to suddenly teach somebody what you know the gospel to be? Or do you have to have hands laid upon you? And, of course, if someone's sick in your family, do you have to have authority to lay hands on them and pray over them? Is, is, I, I don't remember that being the case in the gospel. So what's the deal with authority? Now, there is ecclesiastical authority within the body, and it's described in Timothy, and it's described in Titus, and a few other places. So what gives a person the right within the church? And this is truly the biblical answer. It has nothing to do with theology school or uh, masters of divinity. Um, first, God reveals his word to us through his word. In a very real sense, then, the only authority on earth is the word of God. If someone says, I get my authority by virtue of the Holy Spirit, and it counter contradicts what the word of God says, you're not going to be able to say that's the authority from God. And if someone says, I get my authority from a man by laying on of hands, you got it from another man, from another man, from another man, and they teach things that are not in the word of God, that's not the authority of God. The sure authority from God comes from his word, okay? And, uh, and if it is from his word, a person who is filled with the Holy Spirit determines if they ought to pursue a path in ministry. Uh, the word in the Latin is vocare, and, it, and it's, uh, it's your calling, vocal, vocare. Do you have the call on your life? You hear some Christians say, I felt the call. Well, what does that mean? Well, one is the word of God. Are you consistent with the word of God? Two, do you have desire to do it? 1 Timothy 3.1 talks about that. Another is someone who possesses the fruit, not the fruits, the fruit of the spirit, which is talked about in Galatians 5, and that is, of course, love. And then... A third might be spiritual maturity. You might have the call, you might have the love, you might have uh, the desire, but do you have the spiritual maturity? You can read about that in 1 Timothy. And then you might ask yourself, have I been equipped? 
And that's why people will say, because the, the word does talk about people being equipped. So what men have said is you have to go to divinity school to become equipped. I, I don't believe that at all. I think you can find a man uh, uh, and a woman who sit out in a pasture and read the word, and they can become equipped by virtue of just doing that. And then finally, have you, do you have any experience in the body of Christ? Have you served and been treated like a servant? Have you been uh, uh, persecuted for doing that? Have you served endless hours and then still had the call in your life? These things are all indicators that we use straight from the Word of God that help you know if you have the call on your life or not. All of it is good, but it doesn't stand alone. Hand in hand with His Word is the confirmation of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in John that the Holy Spirit will teach us all things, bring all things to our remembrance. The Holy Spirit being God would never contradict what the Bible says. So these things work in a tag team. So with these two powers manifesting themselves in our lives, we freely receive as believers the right, even the duty, even the obligation to, in some sense, preach and teach and pray over others, etc. Now, in Mark chapter 9, we read an interesting scenario that flies in the face of denominational demands and Mormonism and Catholic claims. John the Beloved comes to Jesus and he says this, Master, we saw one casting out devils in thy name, and he followed not us. And we forbade him because he followed not us. But Jesus said, forbid him not. For there is no man which shall do a miracle in my name that can lightly speak evil of me. For he that is not against us is on our part. Authority for Christians given to believers by God the Holy Spirit according to his word. Hey, fair founder and now head of the new Mormon Defense League, you said you wanted to get the chance to defend your faith to the world of media. We've publicly offered this very platform for you to come on and explain and to be questioned about how you feel so slighted about topics you included in a Deseret News article about your magic underwear and about Jesus being the brother of Satan and about Mormons uh, all being polygamous. Uh, where did you go? We've been waiting to hear from you. Isn't this your objective to be in the media and to share the truth? This is a media outlet. You'll get great exposure. Uh, Scott Gordon, President Affairs, President of the New Mormon Defense League. This is your chance. Come make your people proud. Again, we welcome you, Scott Gordon. Come on the program and explain to us how maligned Mormonism is because people wrongly talk about their garments being magical, wrongly talk about they practice polygamy, and wrongly believe that Jesus and Satan are brothers. All right. And... Uh, we rarely use the C word here, meaning cult, because it's a trigger word that active LDS do not understand when it's applied to them. When I was an active member of the church and someone would say, you're in a cult, I, I couldn't, it didn't make a connection in my brain. I didn't understand what they meant. However, when we see stuff like we're about to see, you can't help but be reminded of how cultic people can get in brainwashing their young. What follows is a genuine recording from a real LDS fast and testimony meeting. Believe me, this happens all the time. It was sent to us by Andreas. Thank you. Now pay particular attention to the focus of the testimony, to the order of the words, what, they com what comes first, how they're repeated. Take a look.
You know, we kind of, you can't help when a child's involved to smile a little bit, but that, that clip breaks my heart. People write us in tears trying to understand why they know the truth, but they can't let go of the tentacles of Mormonism in their heart. I know grown men who cannot stop taking substances because they, they know the truth of the Bible, but they cannot break from the tentacles of Mormonism. That is the very, that's the product of what they do. That kid was standing in front of 300 people and their parent is whispering these things. Beginning, I know the church is true. I know Joseph Smith is a prophet. I know Thomas S. Monson is a prophet of God. And ending with, I know the church is true. From cradle to 18, 19 years of old, uh, age, they don't give them the facts. They give them rhetoric to say and repeat over and over and over again. Then they go in primary. When, the, when that session ends, if sacrament meeting, and in primary they sing, follow the prophet, follow the prophet, follow the prophet, don't go astray. And they sing the first vision song. And they sing about the golden plates and Book of Mormon stories. And these people grow up and suddenly they get online when they're in their 20s or 30s or 40s and they see a fact and their whole mind is obliterated. They, their whole life is undone. Their job is undone, their marriage in the temple is undone, their, their relationship to their family and their community undone. This is the product of Mormonism. This is why we are so emphatic to share with you the truth now. And so uh, I don't, it's not a really a funny subject. It's really quite a sad subject what that guy has pulled and what the people in his name continue to pull on them. Let's begin now with a word of prayer. I need it. Oh, God of heaven, we pray, Lord, that you will send your Holy Spirit as fire down upon this state and that it will melt away the lies and deception that have been heaped upon these people who do have a desire to know you and serve you, but they don't know how. And they believe that their righteousness comes about by their efforts and not by the righteousness that you brought to this earth and gave for us so that we might be saved, Lord. We pray for the program. We pray for our volunteers, our staff, the people who so generously support us in, in prayer and, and finances and all these things that go unnoticed by most people. We love you, Lord. We pray for our audience now in Jesus' name. Amen. We have been talking about the LDS, what they call the first vision in our examination of the Book of Mormon. According to the tale that Mormons tell, Joseph Smith was first visited by God the Father and Jesus Christ when he was around 14 years of age. Then, they say, three years later, he was visited by an angel called Moroni who showed him where some golden plates were in a hill near his home. In order to get a hold of these claims, we have to kind of address them all. And that's why in our study of the Book of Mormon, we are talking about the first vision. Now, three weeks ago, we discussed the cultural context of the first vision and showed how many people in Joseph Smith's day were supposedly having visions too. His was not unique to his day. Secondly, we talked about uh, what the Bible says that how people respond when they have a vision of God and what happens to their heart and their humility. And we compared that to Joseph Smith. And tonight we're going to examine the chronological history of Joseph Smith's first vision claims. You see, to hear the LDS missionaries tell it, uh, it sounds like in the year of 1820, when Joseph Smith was a 14-year-old boy, everything started by him going to a grove of trees, kneeling down to pray, and supposedly God the Father in a body of flesh and bone showed up with the son next to him in a body of flesh and bone, and that was it. But what does recorded history tell us? What does um, LDS recorded history tell us? 
Now remember, 1820 was not a time void of written records. Um, in fact, quite the opposite was true. Local newspapers reported on almost anything that occurred within their circulation area, from dog bites to uh, Anna Smith fell off the porch and skinned her knee to claims of religious um, miracles and things, always reported in the local papers. And um, were there any reports in the papers of God the Father and or Jesus Christ appearing to a young boy? Nothing. Zip. Nothing reported. Not in journals, not in the newspapers, not in notes of pastors who were teaching against it. Nothing. There are records of Joseph Smith supposedly being uh, visited by the angel Moroni in 1823. Absolutely. It was full of recordings about this kid uh, in 1823 said an angel Moroni visited him. All over the place, in the paper, in journals, by pastors, by uh, anti-Mormons. Uh, Everybody recorded that. But three years before, up until 1823, not a single word about Joseph Smith being visited by God the Father in this grove of trees. Um, not until, listen to this, not until 20 years later, in 1840, when an LDS apostle named Orson Pratt gave a public account of the supposed first vision, and he did this in Scotland in a pamphlet, was anything ever printed publicly about Joseph Smith's supposed first vision. That's really important. And this account was lacking in all the details Joseph Smith included later on. Even in what LDS call anti-Mormon literature, which there was plenty of by 1842, and which attacked all sorts of claims Joseph Smith had made, there was not one bit of anti-Mormon literature before 1843, 23 years after the fact, that even mentions a first vision. As a matter of fact, the very first piece of anti-Mormon literature to even mention a first vision quotes Joseph Smith because he mentioned this first vision at that time. Why would this be? Why would such an important event go utterly unnoticed, unmentioned, even unattacked until 20 years after the fact when the appearance of Moroni was immediately the topic of discussion among people pro and con of Joseph Smith? The reason, my friends, listen, is because the first vision never happened. It was created by Joseph Smith years and years after the establishment of the church, and a careful examination of historical documentation proves it. Moving out 22 years to 1842, we come to a time when Joseph Smith began giving recitations of the supposed early family uh, and of his early spiritual history. In 1842, in that version, located in an LDS periodical, Times and Seasons, Joseph Smith mentions the following storylines. We're going to let you read them. He says that there was an unusual excitement on the subject of religion where he lived. Among all sects involved, he said, and there was no small stir and division among them. That his father, uh, excuse me, his father's family was proselytized to the Presbyterian faith and that four of the family joined that church. He, wanted, he went on and said that in the face of all this religious confusion and contention, he went to the woods to ask guidance of the Lord as to which church he should join. Now remember, Joseph is creating this story 20 years plus after the fact and at least 10 years after he formed his own church. 
Then, in this 1842 account, he gives the standard story the LDS used today, that two personages appeared, that one of them spake unto me, calling me by name, and said, pointing to the other, this is my beloved son, hear him. That he was told by Jesus that he, quote, must join none of them, the churches, for they were all wrong, quote, that their creeds were an abomination in his sight, and that those professors were all corrupt. And he said, he again forbade me to join with any of them. Remember this. And many other things did he say unto me, which I cannot write at this time. Then Joseph adds to this account, I soon found, however, that my telling the story had excited a great deal of prejudice against me among professors of religion and was the cause of great persecution, which continued to increase. And though I was an obscure boy only between 14 and 15 years of age, yet men of high standing would take notice sufficient to excite the public mind against me and create hot persecution. And this was common among all the sects, all united to persecute me all united to persecute him. Men of high standing took notice of him because he supposedly let it out of the bag that he had seen God. You got all that propaganda, but nobody anywhere from the public record until a minimum of 20 years later had even heard of this story. Remember from Joseph Smith's own mouth, he was telling the story uh, uh, that had excited a great deal of prejudice against him among the professors of religion, end quote. That quote, there was a great cause of persecution which continued to increase. That men of high standing would take notice sufficient to excite the public mind against me and to create a hot persecution. And this was common among all the sects, quote, all united to persecute me. But nobody ever reported word one unlike the 1830 claims of the Moroni supposed ex experience. Believe me, had Joseph Smith's first vision story actually been told and known, the anti-Mormon writers of his day would have jumped on it right then, and they would have written extensively about how that was impossible. But nothing was ever attacked, because nothing was ever shared, because nothing ever happened. When LDS President Gordby Hinckley called the first vision, the hinge pin upon which this whole cause turns. Uh, it's funny, this thing was never discussed, even though Joseph claimed that all the sects united to persecute him. Now, Fawn Brody, a researcher who discovered that it wasn't until after 1840 that either proponents or opponents of, op opponents of Mormonism mentioned Joseph Smith's first vision. There was a BYU student who was angered by Fawn Brody's uh, uh, claim that nobody had ever mentioned the, the first vision. So his name was Paul Chessman, and in 1965, he made it his quest to get a newspaper article. He was a graduate student at BYU, find something that mentioned the first vision in public records. He found nothing. He couldn't get it. However, he did unearth two earlier accounts of the first vision written by Joseph Smith himself in the Mormon archives. One account was written by Joseph Smith in 1832, 12 years after the fact, and the other was written by Joseph Scribe in 1835, 15 years after the fact. But instead of proving Fawn Brody wrong, because nothing has yet been found pre-1840 that proves that, uh, publicly that the first vision ever happened, 
These versions only serve to show that the tale of Joseph Smith's first vision morphed and changed from 1832, 1835, 1840, 1842. And we're going to talk about that next week. We're going to show you next week how his, his first vision recountings changed over time. That's how we're going to talk about the consistency of the first vision. So let's wrap this up. What actually happened? How did these things actually take place? Let me give you my guesstimation. What got this whole ball of deception rolling, which evolves into visiting gods in bodies of flesh and bone? Uh, we've already noted that Joseph Smith was heavily involved in money digging with his father. The family was poor, spiritually eccentric, and religiously individualistic. Around 1823, Joseph Smith was about 17 years of age. He had grown accustomed to, to conning people, to getting them to believe that he could look in a hat with a stone and tell them where buried treasure was. Advancing the con, he then came up with a story as he was getting engaged that there was a spirit, a spirit, S-P-E-R-E-T, that told him where some golden plates were found, a record of the ancient American Indians. Buried gold, appearing spirits, clandestine operations are foundational to Joseph Smith's early magic practices. In these early years, the Book of Mormon and the telling of what it was was not a religious book. Joseph Smith, because this spirit, an Indian spirit, had told him where these golden plates were, this spirit was not religious. It was just telling about this ancient historical record. And all his gold-searching friends believed in that story. Well, Joseph meets a guy named Martin Harris. And Martin Harris is wealthy. And for the time, and Martin Harris is a religious fanatic, and he will have nothing to do with funding the printing of this, of this Book of Mormon that Joseph Smith will ultimately come forward, unless it was religiously based, unless it came from God. And so, in a moment of time, Joseph's story about a spirit showing him where golden records of a historical nature are became an angel named Nephi or Moroni. We'll find out about that later. Uh, we, he couldn't decide which it was, and neither could the members of the church then. This, this spirit became an angel, and the Book of Mormon became a religious book that got Martin Harris to buy into the deal, fund the printing of it, and Joseph Smith was on his way. He was the ultimate survivalist, and it was at this juncture that he began to turn into a prophet and began to turn into someone who could uh, translate this, my friends, the visitation of the spirit or angel was in reality the first vision of the Mormon church. Joseph Smith saying a spirit showed him where plates were and then later on. Next week, we are going to tell you about the inconsistencies of this evolving story that they now say, they, they preach and teach as though it were gospel truth. It is so different in all of its accounts. It's another thing that says the whole deal is a con. Let's open up the phone lines, 973-8820, 801-973-TV20. Uh, uh, we are uh, going to uh, stop for a minute, look at a partner's message, and come back and take your calls.
Got to love that song. Listen, next week we're going to take a few minutes to hear from an LDS member, Temple Recommending Holding, once bishop, active, faithful, obedient LDS man, share how he came out to know the truth. Join us for that. It's going to be good stuff. Uh, we're going to go and take uh, Tyler from Roy, first-time caller and LDS. Tyler, you're on Heart of the Matter. Uh, yes. Say, uh, I was just thinking, man, as enthusiastic as you are and energetic, and that's a lot of strength coming through. Uh, I'm just a little guy and everything. And Hey, you got the Mormon church at every turn. I'm LDS. I just don't know what really to think about. <laughs> it just, I used to think you were belittling and undermining, and you're really kind of persecuting, too. Perse- I don't know if that's... Persecuting who? Both or whatever, or just your intelligence and your wealth of knowledge you got there. That's really something. Well, so what's your point, Tyler? Well, I'm just saying that I'm hopeful that Something can come through, but your argument can't be debated, really. You seem to have every point of doctrine, so what do we do? Well, you come to the truth, man. You go and you say, hey, I don't want religion. I don't want promises of men. I'm going to go to the Lord God right now Almighty, and I'm going to say, hey, I need you in my life. Forgive me of my sins. Forgive me for my religious stupidity. Well, I believe in the blood of Christ will heal everything. I believe that he did die. Of course he died in... Uh, it's every worthy thing we have. It's even worthwhile. And we're so grateful. You're right. Well, thanks for the call, Tyler. Keep watching. I hope you come to uh, understand. Uh, face to face, I could fill my head with some of this stuff. And, and uh, well, that's selfish because I, I know what you're saying is true to you. And um, Hey, you live in Roy, Utah. Have you ever been to, what's that church in Roy, but Ross Anderson's church? I just hope, I hope you have a heart. Listen to anything I say. Kind of ease up on it a little bit. Ease up on what? I once rode a rabbit across the jungle. What? You gotta leave us our dignity a little bit. Maybe we can uh, get together. I, I've had his personal experiences where I've actually seen Jesus, and he's not the Jesus you're thinking about, and he's not the Jesus that I really know. Did Jesus? Did Jesus confirm Mormonism or renounce it? Just a, a kind of a. Theodopathy, kind of a vision there. And, and, and what did Jesus say about Mormonism? And that was one of the greatest things. He doesn't care what I'm saying. I once got bit by a bat and I turned into a vampire. It was horrible. Well, I'm just hopefully I can uh, know that Mormons are Christians. Some of us are, and some yeah. of us really don't really know. I, my heart isn't in all the way into any kind of Christianity now. I'm really at a crossroads now. Well, I hope you find the the the, the way instead of the crossroads, man. Straight as the gate narrows the way. If you be there, they'll find it. God bless you. Keep going, all right? She'll probably be in heaven somewhere, though. Does anyone like to say anything to him? (laughs) God bless. Take care, Tyler. Bye-bye. We're going to Roger in St. Louis. He is LDS. Roger, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, Sean. What's going on, man? How you doing? Hey, uh, going good. Uh, I I, I will be... I'm I'm a Mormon. Uh, It's a senior in high school, and I had some questions. Uh, First of all, I wanted to ask real quick... Uh, are you familiar with Hugh Nibley and his Book of Mormon Challenge? Just kind of a yes or no question real quick. Yeah, I'm familiar, yes. Didn't uh, take it, but am familiar. Okay. Um, I would love to hear your response to that sometime. Not now, obviously, but uh, a very good point that brought me to the church uh, that really made me question the validity of the Book of Mormon. 
Uh, but the main question I wanted to call in, and after listening to a couple of your shows, it seems you focus a lot on doctrinal issues like polygamy and so forth. Um, yeah. I was primarily curious uh, if those doctrinal issues were what first started leading you to question the church, or if those doctrinal issues came after a social uh, or emotional experience that already left you doubting and only confirmed your desire to leave the church. Yeah, you know, it's an excellent question. Excellent. Uh, for some people, like the bishop you'll see next week, it was all doctrinal. For me, it was a combination. It started when I read as a deacon, was taught as a deacon, that Joseph said, if you meet a spirit, try to shake his hand. And once I heard that, and I had all the jokes with my friends who were in the deacon's quorums about it, I started to have two kind of bifurcated paths. One was that of a questioning person, and the other one is of an active in LDS. And so the questioning ultimately overtook me, I had personal crisis where I realized the church wasn't true. I remained active but was not quote-unquote worthy. And in the end, the impasse came when God said, look it, this is what the truth is. I had a born-again experience and I changed completely. So for me, it was kind of a commingling of doctrine and praxis and my own failures that led me out of the church. Does that help? Yeah, uh, and that, that, that's a great answer. And uh, I just wanted to leave off with, uh, I am a Mormon, and I know that you, you are a past Mormon, but regardless, I respect you, uh, and I think you, you do a great job at what you say, and I respect that. So that's coming from a Mormon. I appreciate it, Sean. Thanks, Roger. God bless you, my friend. God bless you. Bye-bye. I'm willing to bet. Roger keeps watching. Roger is going to change. Just watch. Uh, but we'll see. Sabrina, Salt Lake City, Utah. Brother is on an LDS mission. Let's see what Sabrina has to say. Sabrina, you're on the air. Hi. Hi. Um, is this on? Yep. Oh, hi. Okay. Hey, um, I just barely got my name removed from the LDS church, and my brother's on a mission. He's on a mission in Oklahoma, and he wrote me a letter, and he's calling me to repentance. Yeah. And um, I just am not sure how to respond to that, because I love him, but at the same time, I feel like he's being very unloving to me. Well, let me ask you, Sabrina, you, you took your name off the, the LDS Church. What are you doing in the meantime now? What? What are you doing in the meantime with regard to your faith? Well, I was saved in October, and I go to the Risen Life Church. Praise God. So listen, okay. what you want to do is, uh, the word is yagonizomai in the Greek, and what it means is you're going to contend earnestly for the faith with your brother. You're going to share truth and love with him. You know, if you saw your brother running into or asleep in a hotel that was on fire, you would probably risk your life and run in to try to knock on the door to get him out of there. Well, yes. we're talking about a similar situation, but far worse. And so love really is going to be a verb in your, in your case. You are going to take action and you're going to do it in, in love to reach him with the truth. So just start out gently, just sharing with him what Jesus means to you and how it's different. It might take a lot of time. Usually working with the LDS, it takes a lot of time. But you trust in the Lord. You continue to learn the word of God by studying it. And you just continue on your Christian walk. And you trust the Lord will read him out, lead him out. Because you got to you know, Sabrina, it's not you. And it's not your ability to argue, and it's not your ability to present fact. It's going to be the Holy Spirit that reaches him. He just has to get to the point where the Holy Spirit's going to be able to really work. So okay. you just keep trying to be the best Christian you can. You love that brother like he's never been loved, regardless of the things he says and does. A soft answer turneth away wrath. 
don't look at me on this. We do the dirty work here. We are doing the dirty work and punching it out. Your job is to love and share in truth and be consistent, and you grow on your own walk, and he'll come around. Okay. All right? I will do it. Thank you so much, and thank you for your show. Thank you for calling, my friend. Take care. Okay, God bless. Okay, bye-bye. Every now and then we receive emails from people who are LDS living in the state which is in Utah for those who have never watched before. And they will often write and they'll say something like, you know, I really don't appreciate your show. Uh, my name is Alma and my three sons, Abinadi, Tiankum, and Mahanrai Moriankumar live here in Bountiful. And, uh, and we look forward to the day when the Lord will just take you off this planet, all right? So Cassie and I were talking about this phenomenon. And I mean, there are people out there who are literally named after fictional Book of Mormon characters living in cities named after fictional Book of Mormon cities. I mean, could you imagine like going to uh, outskirts of Chicago and coming onto a town, just stumbling across a town called The Hobbit, and you know, running into a guy, and my name is Gondor, and my children's name are Gollum, Frodo, and Bilbo Baggins, and uh, we live in the Shire. I mean, <laughs> how can a person leave Mormonism, when they have their own namesake and their children's namesake is after the fictional book. It's just unbelievable what this thing has done to people. So uh, just something to think about. All right. Uh, uh, let us go uh, to another email. We've got a lot of them. And we told the operators, be selective. Um, this is from a 14-year-old girl. Sean, I'm 14 years old, a freshman in high school. It's people like you that make me question my faith in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Then I realized how stupid I am for viewing your show. Your, sh your show is a complete joke. Joseph Smith was a prophet of God. The Book of Mormon is another testament of Jesus Christ, and there's a true and living prophet on earth today. You should be ashamed of yourself for leaving the true church of God. She's a product of that little testimony bearing we saw earlier. We wrote back and we said, hey, Leah, thanks for your insights. Your spunk, uh, with your spunk, you will undoubtedly find your way to the true and living God. God bless you. She writes back, I already have. And I follow him in faith. Now, this is the point of the question. She says she follows him in faith. What is, what is faith based on, my friends? We repeat this a lot. Do you sit there in the desert, stare at a cactus, and say, I feel that cactus will save me? Is that faith when you put it on an object that cannot save you? That's not faith. That's bad faith. Good faith is when you put it on an object that is true and real, not fictional like Bilbo Baggins. But a true faith and a good faith is when you hear facts and you say, I will acquiesce my will and my intelligence and I will believe in that fact. It has to be a fact for it to be good faith. Okay, so then we get another one. And this is from a 21-year-old. And he says, Sean, I'm 21 years old. I've been a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints my entire life. Your efforts to tear down the church are not only inappropriate, but also vulgar and tasteless. Sean, you are, remind me of dog something on the sidewalk waiting to get on the shoe of an innocent Christian. Sean, you are a false prophet and are leading people astray from Jesus Christ in the only, one and only true church. That um, the church continues to grow and your ministry can't do anything about it. That may be true. Uh, that proves we are right. Sean, I want you to know something. I want you to know that I know the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is true. I know Joseph Smith was a prophet of the Lord, and I know Thomas Spencer Monson is the living God. I know the Book of Mormon is true in another testament of Jesus Christ. Sean, I think you would take a deep breath and sincerely pray. Study our prophet. 
Thomas S. Monson is one of the finest men to ever walk the earth. Study his life, his works, his goodness. He is a prophet of the Lord. And I testify, Sean, that the church will take you back. Please drop your fruitless television show and come back to the one and only true church. I know the church is true. And deep down, I think you know it's true too. 21 years old, reciting the very things, a lifelong Mormon, he signs it, that he learned when his mom and dad was whispering into his ear, I know the church is true. He wrote it back and said, Dylan, you can't know something unless you know all the facts about it. You've been given a little tiny slice of facts. And the church grows and the church started this way. You've been given those, but do you know the whole picture? Until you know the whole story, how can you say you know? You get it? Okay, let's see. We got a call. No. Uh, why is Moroni on all the temples? We'll talk about that later when we get into the Book of Mormon. It's not because of the first vision. Did Brigham and Joseph take young girls for wives like Warren Jeffs? Uh, Joseph took young girls for wives. Yes. Brigham took Joseph's wives once he died and made them his. He didn't take as young a brides as Joseph did. He liked his women a little older. Oh, Brigham. And so, so uh, no, but Joseph, yes, four or five of his wives were uh, uh, under 19 years of age when he was in his 30s. His youngest being uh, 14, just turning 15, who was a housemaid of his, who Oliver Cowdery was excommunicated from the church for calling it a nasty affair. Uh, and by the way, let me make this point. This is important. I don't pick on Joseph Smith's proclivities and sins. We all have sins. Uh, you could find a, a laundry list of sins in my life. I'm not picking on him because he had sin. He was a man. I'm picking on him because he made his sins authorized by God. That, and he made his sins doctrine. That's where Joseph Smith was so vile. He had no fear of God and was able to say, Thus saith the Lord, sell your farm and give me the money. Thus saith the Lord, humble yourself and give me your teenage daughter to wife, even though my wife Emma doesn't hear about it. Thus saith the Lord. This is why I pick on Joseph Smith. Make sure you understand that, okay? Susan was told she will never go to the highest degree of the celestial kingdom because she never married. She is upset. I have a solution for you. Leave the Mormon church and, uh, and, and stay. Uh, you know what Paul said? Listen, this is so true. He said, it's better if you have a heart for the Lord to stay unmarried. He said that you can devote all your time to the service of the Lord. And so uh, this marriage thing, this is what uh, Mormonism has made like the pinnacle of all life. And those of us who have been married know it's not the pinnacle of all life. Sorry, Mary. I, know, I mean, I know it hasn't been for you, but for, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm in trouble when I go home now. Now, listen, marriage is ordained of God. It's a great thing. But Paul makes it clear. You know what it's for? It's for people who can't contain and they, have to, they want to have sex and procreate and have that kind of partnership. So you get married, God ordains it. It's a good thing. But if you don't have to live that and you don't have to participate in that, he says it's better if you want to serve the Lord full time to remain single. So look at the Christian view, which is so, so normative and appealing, versus the LDS view, which is lockstep, and you have to follow that process, okay? This is, can you elaborate on Joseph Smith Jr. being groomed by his parents? Did they raise him to be a super religious person? You know, they, they raised him to be um, uh, super eccentric in the practices of the occult, of, um, of Christian autonomy. 
They did, his father hated religious organizations, was a universalist essentially, and said everybody is going to heaven, so we don't need to belong to any of these churches, and there needs to be a restoration. His great, I mean, his grandfather was a restorationist too. So Joseph Smith kind of parlayed all the teachings his parents gave him. His mother was a wild mystic, and kind of parlayed them into forming this new church. Caller, my stake president recently came out as a gay man. My ward really looked up to him before this, and now they feel betrayed. Well, if he's been portraying, first of all, if he's a stake president, he has to be married. And if he married as a gay man, and then, then he should be kind of like, that's not a very good deal, dude. I mean, what do you want? It's, it's just like, it, it's, just, it's uh, deception, you know? So they're not looking down on him probably as much because he's gay as because he has been living a lie. Okay, now listen about the homosexual thing. We've mentioned this. It comes up all the time in emails. Homosexuality, a sin. Heterosexuality, aspects of it, a sin. Adultery, fornication, lust. Homosexuality, participation of it, sin. Lying, sin. Uh, greed, sin. All these things, avarice, sin. Intemperance, sin. The homosexual belongs in church as much as anybody else belongs in church. And we're going to read an email from you, if I can find it, that will uh, really blow your mind. We're going to go to Casey and Orem really quickly on line two. She's LDS or he is LDS. Casey, you're on Heart of the Matter. John? Hey, you're on the air, man. Hey, thanks for taking my call. I just had a question. Um, I'm a Mormon, and I've had doubts about the Mormon church, but every time I read like the Book of Mormon or the Doctrine and Covenants, I feel those feelings that's supposedly described in the Bible as joy, peace, you know, all those different things. Yeah. Just wondering, why is it that I'm able to feel these things? Is that the Spirit, or is that an intimidation, or what is that? Well, you know, if you watched earlier in the show, we showed you that tape of that, of that young child. Are you a convert? No, no, I'm, I've been a member my whole life. Okay, but even converts feel those feelings. There's nothing like, look, Hitler understood this with the Third Reich, most totalistic methodologies, Pol Pot, they understand this. There's nothing like belonging. Eric Hoffer wrote a book called The True Believer. There is nothing like the feeling of belonging. When you walk into that chapel, they call you brother. They give you uh, jobs of authority or position. Even a home teacher, there's some authority there. They help you move up. They live cleanly. There, the, the Book of Mormon quotes from the Bible. There are many, you, you've sung wonderful hymns, you have heard testimonies born, tears have been shed. These are all emotive things. If you would like to make a call. I would. So what happens with that is um, you're tied in emotionally to this, Curtis, if that was your name. Casey, and, and you're going to reflect upon those things every time you read or hear something that reverberates back to those experiences. You'll notice the Bible never says, read and pray about this and see if you feel that it's true. The Bible never tells you to rely on your feelings. It says research like the Bereans did. Search out the facts, find these things out and discover them to be true. Study it out. And so there is the difference. Uh, I can't remember who it was. I won't even quote it, but he said, don't trust this man, I think it was again Hitler. Don't trust him by your knowledge, trust him by your heart. That is how you are deceived. When you can, uh, somebody can get you to trust them based on your emotions and your heart, you will be deceived. But if you're basing things on facts and research and study, you won't be. Okay, uh, thank you for that addition. I'm not gonna say it. Listen, this is a true email. 2009, Vinny writes, 
Does Jesus love all no matter who they are or what they are? Even if you were born and raised Mormon in Utah County, escaped from Utah by joining the army. 38 years later, retired from the army, now living in Maryland, became a starving, struggling artist, never had or been in a relationship of any kind, single, gay, turning 56. This was 2009. We wrote him back. Merle, any uh, Bible-believing church worth its salt will readily embrace you. You see, gay people are no more sinful than straight people. We all have sin and fall short of God's righteousness. So we all need to come to him, receive him, and follow him. You have every single right to this relationship with God that I have or anyone else has for that matter. And as far as loving everyone, absolutely, Jesus loves all. That's why he came and died and suffered for sin. So you could receive him and live. Your homosexuality, if you're willing, and this is the case with all people, their will is between you and God. Receive him as your Lord first. Learn of him and let him guide you where he wants you to go. Then your happiness will become joy. And that, my brother, is a, is a whole other world. He wrote, Sean, this was in September of 2009. Sean, I want to tell you that almost two months ago, I've now been attending a Bible study group. We finished Corinthians, and this week we are starting the book of John. I'm glad that I have a minister that can translate the wording. I do not think I've been able to understand its meaning on my own. It's still early, but I feel different somehow. Reading and having the Bible explained in detail, I think, is a difference that is making sense to me. Yet uh, This week, he wrote, we hadn't heard from him since uh, September, almost two years ago. Sean. How would I go about getting my name taken off the Mormon church records? I was baptized by my Bible study group pastor, uh, Rob Mahavich of the Calvary Christian Fellowship two weeks ago, and I now wish to be considered a Christian. God works miracles in your life. It doesn't matter what sins that you have been uh, steeped in, what proclivities you've embraced in your life, what you think you are, what the, the things you have done. He loves you and he wants your heart to be tied to his heart through a relationship. And that relationship is based on faith, my friends. It is not based on your efforts and works and cleaning yourself up so you can step before God and say, look at me, look what I've done. It's impossible, okay? On the air, why, would, why all the stuff about Warren Jeffs but nobody puts down Joseph Smith? Let me tell you something. The PR machine of the Mormon church is enormous and it's growing. Online, they, they, they own the internet waves they literally manipulate, they have the money to work the PR machine in the press. And uh, Joseph Smith's barely going to be mentioned by uh, news uh, commentators because it's just not politically correct. The Mormon church says that was long ago and they just believe it, not realizing that the LDS still practice polygamy uh, in their, uh, spiritually in their temples today. Um, some good news, Mormonicious is now a word on UrbanDictionary.com. Um, so if you want to find out the definition of that word, go to urbandictionary.com, type in Mormonicious, and you'll see what it means. And what it means is roughly translated, uh, when a religious group changes willy-nilly their doctrines from one thing to another without any explanation. And the example that is given on uh, urbandictionary.com is Brigham Young once taught that Adam was God, and Gordon B. Hinckley now says that that's a heresy. How Mormonicious of him. We have tons of emails from you. We appreciate all of them. We read them all. We tried to respond to them all. We appreciate your uh, help, your love, uh, your prayers especially. We have some exciting things coming up in the months to come. Uh, continue to tune in. Next week we are going to go. We're going to have a special guest, uh, uh, present-day Latter-day Saint, 
temple uh, recommend holding former bishop who came to know the truth, not because he had trouble obeying the rules of the LDS, but because he found the truth from the word of God. We'll see you then on Heart of the Matter.